All right, so um, thank you to the band again for like kind of running with it uh, when I wasn't sure I was going to be here. It is good to be here, uh, and I think that it's so appropriate what we're talking about tonight because I was actually just sitting there like thinking to myself about the um, what just happened and like receiving a call where which I know that you guys don't understand this yet, um, but from your bride and she's crying on the other end of the line um, and how quickly I moved to action, like nothing else mattered, didn't care about doing what I was doing upstairs, um, I was talking to Pastor Kenneth and just left um, because I knew that she needed me, right? I was moved out of love because I, I love her deeply and I was fearful that she had been hurt, fearful that she was like in a situation that like seemed out of control for her. And so I leapt up and I scooted on out and headed over to um, the accident scene, which, by the way, just a little plug for the emergency crew people in the, the room or anybody that has family members in that. They did a fabulous job. It was pretty amazing. Um, I didn't expect two fire trucks and an ambulance and three police cars to show up to somebody that had rear-ended her. But they did, um, and they were very, very kind. Uh, but anyways, so tonight, uh, let me just review what we've been going over um, and then I'm going to bridge the gap of what I just shared with you of what we're talking about tonight. So the first lesson we talked about, stop praying. Again, like at the end of that video, Francis Chan was talking about this, this feeling of reverence that we have whenever we come into the presence of a holy God, right? So we read these things in Scripture of God's throne room on display for people to come, and, and when they come into His presence, they, they faint or fall down on their face and don't say anything. And so we talked about how we need to back up before we even begin talking in God's presence and just slow down and realize who we're talking to in the first place. Um, and then the next one was, you might not finish this chapter, and we talked about the two-fifths of a second that he's given us on this planet. So if he's that awesome God that we're coming into um, his presence and we're falling on our faces, then of course I want to use two-fifths of the second that I have in my life to glorify him. And we talked about the two-fifths of a second. Obviously, we have more than that. But like in the large scheme of things, your life is just but a mist. Right, And so to use that two-fifths of a second to bring glory to Him is the best use of that two-fifths of a second. It would make no sense whatsoever if I showed up to um, a movie that stars Tom Cruise and I was an extra and you see the side of my head for just two-fifths of a second and for me to act like that movie was about me. And so often we, we act that way with God because He's the hero of this story and yet we try to make it all about us. And so we talked about how ridiculous it is that we care as much as we do about making our name famous. People aren't going to care what you wore a generation from now. Shoot, your kids probably don't even want, they'll make fun of it, but they won't care, right? A generation from now, people won't care what you drove. A generation from now, people probably won't care what you did as a profession, right? So if it's all about making your name famous, guess what? Your name's fame is probably going to end in about one generation, Maybe two. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but like I'm dealing with that reality too, that like, like even this, like, like ultimately, I don't expect my great great grandkids to care that I was a youth minister. Like, I, I'm thankful for this and the opportunity to do this, but, but I need to keep in perspective how small I am and how massive God is and how small I am in the large scheme of God's story. So that's what we talked about on that night. And then we talked about the craziness of God loving us. So this God that we come into his presence and fall on our face before him because he's so awesome that he's given us two-fifths of a second and my life is just a blip, right? And yet he loves me. 
And so we talked about how oftentimes we talk about that in the church, like, oh yeah, God loves me. We learned Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And we totally take it for granted. Like if we slow down and back it up and realize the God that we're talking about as opposed to this God that we try to fit into our little mental constructs, then it's like, whoa, like the God that created the universe cares that much about me in my two-fifths of a second? Like that's baffling whenever we really back up and, and, and contemplate that. So that's what we talked about on that um, night. And then the next night, we talked about the profile of the lukewarm. So we looked at a lot of scriptures um, about lukewarm Christians. Um, so we looked in Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to go to that tonight just briefly. But we looked at Revelation chapter 3 and how uh, Jesus was writing a letter to the church of Laodicea. And he said, I would rather you be cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm retching you out of my mouth. I'm vomiting you out of my mouth. Right? And so, so this idea of lukewarm Christianity, and then the following um, lesson, we talked about how lukewarm Christians don't even exist. That the idea that there's a lukewarm Christian isn't even true. But we have lukewarm areas in our lives that, that we can make available to God. So, so we all have lukewarm areas, but the difference between a lukewarm area in our life and being a, quote, lukewarm Christian is... Somebody that is, quote, labeling themselves as a lukewarm Christian, if their entire perspective and lifestyle is just kind of half in, you know what, I'll do the God thing sort of at church and not really do much else. But like, even that, like if God doesn't give me chill bumps, then I'm pretty much on the, the sidelines. That that person, and Francis Chan was very clear about it, that it's, it's hard to say this, but that person should pause for a second and wonder to themselves, like, what's going on with me and my heart? and my salvation in that moment when I'm realizing that my life is, you know, not really engaged because Jesus doesn't call us to, to half discipleship, does he? And we know this, right? But it's so hard to bridge the gap into reality. We know that Jesus called people to sacrifice everything and to come and to follow him, yet so often what we do in our culture is we consume Jesus, we consume church, and we make it about ourselves, and we totally miss the point in that, Right? And so we talked about um, the uh, the lukewarm um, uh, parts of our lives that we can bring to God and allow Him to transform. And then last week we talked about serving God um, leftovers and how so often we don't give Him the best of who we are. So often it's just kind of like this halfway in, halfway out. Eh, you know, again, if God does things for me, then I'm good. But if He doesn't, there's not so much that I'm going to sacrifice for Him. And so tonight what we're going to talk about is what it looks like to be motivated in our walk with God. And so the first question I have for you guys, um, for us, um, is what is your motivation? Like, What is it? Okay, so just pause for a second and just think, what is it that brought you in the doors tonight? Okay, there's probably an array of answers, all right? Pause and question, what is it that motivates you whenever you're trying to live like Jesus has called you to live? What is it really motivating you in that? What is it that motivates you to uh, to put on the Christian you know face and to say, okay, I'm not going to do this, that, and the other, and I'm going to do a lot of this, that, and the other? What is it that motivates you? Now, I don't know if you're like me. I'm assuming because you're a human being that you probably have experienced this, but... Hold on one second. Okay, I don't have it in there. Okay. So, what is your motivation? If you're like me, human being, more than likely you've been motivated greatly by fear and guilt. 
in all areas of your life. That's not just your relationship with God. But fear and guilt. Just think about it for a second. You say, well, that's not really true, Jonathan. Well, think about it. Think about how much... We talk about peer pressure, right? Think about how much peer pressure affects you. Like what your friends say is cool, you buy it, right? What your friends say to do, and you normally do it. Unless, you know, like like for whatever reason you don't want to. But but we, we bow down to these pressures, right? And we say peer pressure, but but if you pull that layer back, it's really not peer pressure that you're bowing down to. It's the fear of rejection that you're bowing down to and saying, okay, I'm afraid of them rejecting me, so I am going to do what they're pressuring me to do or this pressure that I feel, right? Or guilt. Okay, this is more like um, uh, of the experience inside the church, but oftentimes we do things or don't do things to avoid the feeling of guilt, right? And so we, we, we do the, the, the good things, we go to the camp or whatever um, because we don't want to feel guilty about not going. Or, like, we don't do something, like, let's say, <clears throat> and I know that people use this a lot, but I'm going to use it anyways because I can think of another one right now. But, like, I go to the party on the weekend, right? I'm going to choose not to do that. Why? Well, because I feel guilty, right? And it's not that the feeling of guilt is wrong. And it's not that the feeling of fear is wrong. It's not that the feeling of conviction is wrong. None of those are wrong. But if that's my primary motivation in living for Jesus Christ, then we're totally, like, selling ourselves short. And you'll understand why here in a second. The reason why, and to come back to what I talked about with the um, story with my wife, is that there's a much, much more powerful motivator. A much more powerful motivator than guilt and fear. Much more powerful. And you guys have probably already guessed it because the book is called Crazy Love. And I talked about love at the beginning. And the reality is, is that love is the best motivator in living for somebody. So my love for Aaron... I didn't sit there and think like, okay, what, what am I supposed to do right now as a husband? Where's my, where's my rule book? You know, she's been in an accident. Now I gotta pull out the rule book and look it up and figure out what I do and don't do and what I say and don't say. Like, that's ridiculous. Of course I didn't go through that. Or I didn't think to myself, well, you know, geez, I have church night. I mean, but I'm gonna go because she's gonna guilt trip me if I don't. Didn't think that. Or, well, I guess there was some fear mixed in there, but like the reality of me moving towards her was out of love and compassion for her, right? And so tonight what we're going to be talking about is um, what it looks like when we're in love with Jesus Christ and how that changes our perspective. So keep in mind that question of what is your motivation, all right? Because that's huge. And basically there's two camps, right? On this side we have the motivation of fear and guilt. And on this side we have the motivation of love. Okay? And we're going to unpack that here, here just for a few minutes. And I'm going to try to fire through these as fast as possible. Okay? So hang with me. I know it's kind of uh, dim in here. So you guys are like, uh, I'm falling asleep. Um, so let's look at Galatians 5, 13 through 14. This is what Paul says. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So when we love, we are free. Now, you say, okay, what does that actually mean? Well, okay, think about it for a second. If all the law is summed up in loving God and loving people, if I am loving God well, if I'm loving people well, those two go together, then I'm going to go ahead and venture out, and Francis Chan also ventures out to say, like, it's impossible for us to sin. 
if we are loving God and loving people. Now, that's a pretty bold statement, and I totally get that our love is human and it wanes and it goes back and forth, so it's not unconditional love. So there's going to be times that I'm not loving God fully. There's going to be times that I'm not loving people fully. And normally in those times are the times that I am sinning because I have everything my perspective is surrounding me and my reality and how I'm experiencing things. And most of the time, I'm frustrated with people around me because they're getting in my way. But if I'm loving God and loving people, then 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 I can't sin, right? And so um, later on, in, or earlier on in that uh, passage, he, uh, Paul says, "For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, circumcision nor uncircumcision, has any value. The only thing that counts in faith, expressing itself, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love." That's a pretty strong statement. By pretty strong, I mean that's a really strong statement. So Paul's saying that, listen, like let me let me boil it down for you, make it real simple. Jesus did the same thing when people came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, what's the what's the greatest commandment? Right? Trying to trap them. And he says, Let me boil this down for you. Okay? I know that there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. I know that there's a lot of commandments, a lot of things. I know that there's a lot of things that maybe are confusing, right? But he boiled it all down, and Paul's doing the exact same thing. He said, Listen, like all of this. All of this is summed up in one commandment. Love God and love people. Now, why is that so profound? Is it because we're supposed to be like really nice people that are loving? I mean, partially. But like, why is it that it's boiled down into love God and love people? Why? Because it sounds good? Because it's what Christians are supposed to do? Okay, so we're kind of hitting at this this reality that if we're loving God and loving people well... That, that it transforms all of our experience of life and of God. Okay, so Francis Chan in his, um, in his video, he was, you know, walking around showing his kids and everything and talking about the love that he has for them. It's hard for him to even put that into, um, into words. And, and, and then he talked about, okay, so what does it look like then to love God in the same way? What does it look like to grow in my affection towards God? And here's the reality. We're living in a culture and a generation, you guys are, I am, living in a culture and a generation that quite frankly has in a lot of ways divorced God. Even inside the church a lot of times we have difficulty understanding what it means to actually love God, affectionately love Him, being moved by our emotions, being moved by more than just music on a stage, no offense, being moved by Jesus and His glory. Like, when was the last time that you were moved by His glory, that you were moved by His beauty? I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm I'm asking myself the same questions. When was the last time that I was in awe of God and just falling more in love with Him? You know, we get human relationships. We understand what it's like to be moved by love. I understand what it's like to be compulsively moved today because my wife was in an accident and compulsively just going and doing what a husband is to do because he loves his wife. And yet so often, for me, my relationship with God does not look like that. Now, I totally get that it's different. And I totally get that it's more abstract. And I totally get that having a relationship with a person that's flesh and bone right in front of you is very different than having a relationship with the God of the universe. However, I also believe that if we were to begin, even begin to start wrapping our minds, and I'm not even saying like even begin to wrap it around, like, I mean, just kind of like begin to touch the reality of who God is, then I don't know how in the world we could not love Him more. 
because he is the most beautiful, the most perfect being that has ever, ever been in the universe, right? And, and Jesus is the most beautiful human being that has ever walked this planet. And, and the way that he interacts with people, even though we look at scripture and we say, hey, you know what, like, that's really boring or I don't understand it or whatever, like, the reality is, is if we start breathing personality back into Jesus instead of it just being dead words on a page, I will tell you this, that if you begin to see the way that he interacts with those people and what it meant in that cultural time for him to do what he did, it is intoxicatingly beautiful. That's the reason that people were drawn towards him. But so often, we settle for, well, we'll just go to church and listen to the preacher and, you know, maybe I'll feel good, maybe I won't, or whatever. Like, we settle for so little when the glory of God is there for the taking, for us to experience His glory in the way that the people in Scriptures experienced it. And when we experience His glory in that way, then yes, like I'm affectionately moved. I don't have to think about, oh, well, you know, I should probably do this and not do that and like keep in my mind like, you know, all these commandments of do's and don'ts. Like, that would be overwhelming for anybody. God understood that. And part of the reason He gave us the law is to help us understand, yo, bro, you can't do it yourself. And so, so, so I don't have to keep that all in mind because if I'm loving God and loving people, then all that stuff falls into place. I don't have to try to figure out the algorithm and be like, okay, God, like, what, what do I need to do here? Like, you love God. You love Him. Affectionately love Him. And when I'm affectionately loving God and moving towards Him, everything that I do is transformed. The way that I experience it and the way that I move through it. I'm not sitting there trying to figure out the puzzle, trying to figure out, okay, what exactly do I need to say to this person or what exactly do I not need to do and all this stuff. In a lot of ways, can I just be honest with you? Like, I think that a lot of times I use that as an excuse to not act because I would prefer to kind of keep it in head knowledge and be like, well, I don't really know, you know. And like, just be like vacillating back and forth and like not really doing anything, not being compulsed by love to move towards God and towards other people. And I'm just like, well, it's okay, because I'm a nice guy. Come on. Like, that is so pathetic, and I'm saying that about myself. Again, this is not guilt and shame. It's just reality. If I was falling more in love with God each day, it would make life a whole lot more simple. Now you say, Jonathan, well, Jonathan, you know that that doesn't mean that, that there's not going to be suffering. Of course not. In fact, that's the power in it is that if I'm in love with God, I can walk into the midst of suffering, I can go through trials, and I can have trust in Him. Good grief, and I apologize if any of you guys did this. But I was watching uh, the elections yesterday, and people were crying. Crying because their person that they wanted to, to be the president wasn't winning, right? No, okay, so you, we, we laugh about that, but like, think about that for a second. The amount of hope that they placed in one individual, one person, one just position in our governmental system, and that was crushed, and then they're crushed. What the heck? Since when did the, the President of the United States like fix everybody's problems? Um, never. Right? And yet we are so desperate, our souls are desperate to have some sort of hope in something greater than ourselves because we know that life is really hard. And so this is the beauty, and when I'm in love with Jesus Christ, when I'm in love with God and moving towards Him with a loving affection, 
then I can walk in the midst of things that like would shake most people and I can walk through them with Him. It doesn't mean that I'm like completely guarded from them. In fact, you look at Scripture, and he talks about this in the book, but you look at Scripture and good grief, like most of the apostles were murdered. Murdered. People were persecuted. Like Jesus was not was not bashful about saying, hey, listen, if you follow me, let me tell you what's going to happen. You will be persecuted as I've been persecuted. Like, you will. And, and, and yet, like, they still walked through that and did it differently. In fact, they did it so differently that the Roman Empire had to pause and say, what is different about these people? That they go to death praising God. That they're torn to pieces by the beast in the arenas. And they're praising God? What is this? It's because they loved Him. You think it's because they just tried hard? Like, I'm just going to try really hard to get eaten by this lion and keep praising God. Okay, thanks, Caleb. I don't even know why that's, well, that was so funny for you. But thank you for laughing at that. Okay. But seriously, and yet so often do we not live our lives that way. You know what? I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to try really hard to, to be the good Christian or be the good guy or whatever and, and totally miss the affectionate side of loving God. The difference between the people in Scripture that you see persecuted and are able to walk through that, praising God, regardless of the outcome, hello, they were murdered. That's not a good outcome from a human perspective. Yet they walked into that and, and, and were forced through that and they clung to the Jesus Christ they loved deeply. Okay, very different, very different than pre-covenant pre-Jesus, right? And, and, and God saying, okay, you gotta follow these rules, you gotta follow these rules, and you got the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so forth that were functioning out of a place of fear and guilt. Were they not? Yes. You think that the Pharisees and the Sadducees probably would have spilled their blood for the sake of the gospel? Or what they would assume would be the gospel? Probably not. I can't, I don't know them. So I can't tell you. But more than likely, if just from a human perspective, if they're being driven by guilt and, and fear, then of course, if somebody challenges that, they're going to bow to them. In fact, you see that through Scripture now that I'm thinking about it. You see that through Scripture where the Pharisees were very much bowing down to Caesar. In fact, there's a point where they even say, like, Hail Caesar. It's like, whoa, time out for a second. Really? Okay. So I know that I just like totally like ranted for a second, but like the point is, is that if we're being driven by guilt and, 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 and fear, then, then we're only going to take it so far. But if we're driven by love, you will go to absolute like crazy lengths to be with somebody, to show them your love. Will you not? I know that some of you guys maybe haven't been in a relationship, but think about your parents. Think about the length that they would go to show you their love. And you're like probably so egocentric right now that you probably don't even realize it. But that's okay. Think about the length of love that you, or length of um, of the links that you would go to to show your parents that you love them. A much better motivator than fear and guilt. And that's what um, we're talking about tonight. Is okay. So what does it look like to love Jesus? So I'm going to fire through these. Hang with me, okay? So we talked about First Corinthians 13, and basically in summary, if you do a bunch of crazy awesome stuff like prophecy, healing, like just stuff that people would look at and be like, whoa, like, like, whoa, 
Like the power of God is in you, but you have not love. You don't have love. Guess what? You know what you are? Sorry, Caleb. That was, that was harder than I expected. I'm very sorry. He's like back there like, ugh. Okay, yeah. That's what you are. A clanging symbol. Okay. So, my question then is, is loving God and others, I totally lost my train of thought on the First Corinthians thing. Basically, if you don't have love, it's pointless people. Pointless. Hello. Like pointless. Completely pointless. And yet so often, we don't. If we're being honest. Okay, so the question is, is loving God and others what we are all about, right? So I'm going to read this passage, and I want you to listen to somebody that is madly in love with God, okay? You guys are probably familiar with this, but try to just think about what their heart was feeling when they wrote this. Like, really think about that. They probably weren't penning it and being like, well, you know, whatever, like journaling in the morning and got to do it because of my duty and it's my, you know, quiet time hour. No, no. Like, listen to this. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. I know that maybe not a lot of people in here are poets, but like, have you ever, let me pause for a second. This is not to shame or guilt. I'm asking myself the same question, okay? Have you ever prayed words that are similar to that? Have you ever written words that are similar to that? Like on a heart level, it doesn't have to be as pretty and stuff, but on a heart level. If not, what are we settling for? Like, really, what are we settling for? If I'm madly in love with God and growing more in my love for Him, then yes, words like that will just pour out. Because I long to be with Him. Like, have you ever written a love letter to somebody? Talk them up? Like, man, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me, yada, yada, yada. Check yes or no if you like me. Right? (laughs) But seriously, like, a lot of people in this room, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm exempt from this, a lot of people in this room probably have written more glorifying letters to their girlfriend or boyfriend than they have to God. Because we, we, we have such a hard time understanding what it means to affectionately love God. Do you understand what I'm saying with affectionately love Him? It's not words. I'm not talking about that. Like, yes, words are part of it, but I'm talking about like this deep, like soul movement, this deep heart movement that you felt when you've been around somebody that you genuinely love and care for. Except I believe that it could be even deeper than that. In fact, I've experienced things deeper than that in the presence of God, even deeper than, than times with, with Aaron because of his glory and his beauty. Like, there is nothing that compares. Aaron's pretty close. But there's nothing that compares. Okay. So, we've already talked about this, but stop trying so hard. You can't prove your love to God and you can't buy His love. We've talked about this a lot down here. Like, that, like listen, 
you can try all you want to. In fact, there's a lot of moral people and nice people out there that try really hard and they sort of pull their life together, meaning like, well, you know, they're nice and people probably look up to them. They're maybe good business people or whatever. But, but we need, need Jesus Christ. We need Him. We need His Holy Spirit to enter into our hearts and penetrate them and say, yo, stone cold heart like no more. <coughs> like the shirt, by the way. Where are you? Okay. Um, but like to move into that area of your heart that's like still holding back, that coldness that's like, man, I don't know what it looks like to love God. I've never really felt that. Ask Him. Ask Him. Ask Jesus. Say, like, listen, come to me and I invite you into those areas of my heart. In James 4 it says, come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Come near to God and He will come near to you. When we talk about Revelation chapter 3, where was Jesus after He said, listen, I'm spitting you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. Where was He after that? Were you answering the question? Oh, no. Okay, well, do it again. And maybe it'll like... Do it again. Okay, so what's the answer? What's the answer? Come on, people. Yes, thank you. Okay, so Jesus is knocking at the door and He's saying, listen, like I'm at the door and I'm knocking and anyone who... Good job, Jared. Anyone, anyone who opens the door, I will come in. Right? It's not Jesus saying, hey, listen, you got to work yourself into my presence. It's not Jesus saying, hey, listen, like you got to clean yourself up before you come to me. No, like He's saying, I am here and if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. That is a promise. I'm at the door and I'm knocking and I want to enter in. A.K.A. like that, obviously that's not a physical door, but spiritually and on a heart level, like I want to enter into those areas of your heart and teach you what it looks like to love me and love the Father and love the Holy Spirit. Like I want that for you because there's something so deeply, deeply true to that because we were designed for that relationship. So that's what James says. He says, come near to God. And then in Revelation 3.20, he's at the door and he's knocking. Um, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So in John 15, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And we've talked about this. I know. Okay, okay. Don't tune me out. We're almost done. And I told you guys last time, you're not supposed to do that. Don't do that in speech class. But in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and how this Holy Spirit's going to come and and, and when he leaves, it's going to be better because the Holy Spirit's going to come in and dwell believers. But he says, listen, like, and he uses this metaphor, you are, you are the vine. No, you are the branch and I'm the vine. Anyone who abides in me bears much fruit, a.k.a. you don't produce it. Who produces it through you? The Holy Spirit. And guess what the first fruit of the Spirit is? Hello, what is it? Love. Love, right? You think that that's coincidence that Jesus started off with love and not self-control? I don't know. Maybe he was just like, oh, it probably like flows off the tongue better that way. I'm not really sure. But I would be willing to bet that he started with that because he knew that it was so stinking important. So love is something that the Spirit enables us to do, especially when it comes to talking about loving God, right? Okay, so we need Jesus to fill our hearts with love. As we pray for love, we receive love that causes us to pray all the more for love. So it's a cyclical type of thing where it's like, okay, I'm praying for love, I feel love, and I want to draw closer to God. I'm praying for love, and I feel love, and I want to draw closer to God. I'm praying for love. And it works that way. Like, we need His help to teach us and to show us what it means to love Him. So, 
what is your motivation? So we've talked about two different types of motivation. The one on this side, that's the fear and guilt, and the one on this side that is love. Now, hear me when I say this. This is probably a continuum, meaning that like we're probably at different places at different times. Okay, It's not like that all the time I'm going to be over here like all in love. Right? But I'm, I'm shifting back and forth. But the reality is, is I don't want to camp out over here because that is a gift that is so intoxicatingly beautiful that I would be an idiot. I would be so stupid to not move towards that. Who wants to live in guilt and fear? And I love how he talked about the relationship with the Father and how oftentimes our relationship with our fathers taint our way of seeing God and how his relationship with his Father wasn't the best. And so he did function out of a place of guilt and fear because oftentimes he would function that way with his Father, earthly Father. But the beauty in, in God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is that he does not function in the same way that our earthly Father does. Praise the Lord he doesn't. Even the people with great dads. He's better. He's better. And so I can move towards that and I can trust Him and I can, I can love Him more because He is so good. Now you say, Jonathan, okay, so what does that look like? Obviously pray, okay? Let me give you another really, really practical thing and this will be the last thing that I say. Super practical, all right? And I can't even remember who said this, but it's helpful. It said, like, I try to live my life and every day I try to expand my idea about God. Because no matter how long I live and no matter how big the idea I have about God, He is always bigger. So, what that means is that, listen, like this God of the universe that is infinitely beautiful and mysterious, like that is awesome and powerful, like He is saying, come to me and I want you to know me and love me and I want to love, well, He already loves us, but I want you to know me and love me. And so, so here's a real practical thing. If, if you haven't like, like, picked up a book, and I know that some people are like, oh, well, theology is not really my thing. But like, just, just for a second, like if you're in Lifeway, pick up a book on theology and go to the chapter about God and just read a paragraph or two. Like, it's unbelievable. I have a book that's like this big by Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology, right? It sounds so, so boring. It's just like, what in the world? But it's awesome because... It helps me expand my idea about God because if my God, my God is this big, itty-bitty living spaces. It's like the genie. Anyways, don't know why I thought about that. But if he's this big, or even if he's as big as this room, or even if he's bigger than this room and big as last Cassis, I, it's still like good for my heart to continue to expand my ideas about God because his beauty is so infinite. And so the more beauty of him that I see, the more I'm drawn towards him. But the less beauty that I see of Him and the less that I know about Him and the less I care about Him, of course I'm not going to be moved towards Him. I'm going to be moved towards something else to worship because we're worshiping beings. So, if you're, you're, if you're like me and you're struggling, okay, I don't really affectionately love God oftentimes. It's okay. It's all right. Pray. Ask God to give you love for Him. But also, seek out Things that will expand your understanding about God. Expand your understanding about the beauty of Him so that you fall more